feel like saying it's good to be home. I feel like I haven't been here for a few weeks. And uh, last week we did this thing. It's called a pulpit swap, where uh, Pastor Brett Donald from City Lights, I was preaching at his church, and he was preaching here. Um, and I'm not sure what I was doing the week before. I think I was in Seattle or something. But uh, it's really great to be back home and to deliver God's word to you. Uh, this has been a, a restful summer for me, and I've really sensed the presence of God, just being able to kind of slow down the pace of life and listen to Him and walk with Him, and uh, boy, to be able to meditate on Ephesians and to hear what He would say through His Word, it's just been uh, very life-giving. I've been given the task to talk with you today about Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go through a whole chapter in uh, probably about half an hour. So we're going to try to divide this up into three sections. There's, in chapter 4, there's a therefore, a but, and a so. A therefore, a but, and a so. And so we're going to look at each one of those um, sections. In chapter, Ephesians 4, verse 1, it says, therefore. So now what it's, it, uh, in, the, in the previous three chapters, a bunch of stuff has been said about who God is and about what he's done for us. So given all that God is and all that he's done for us, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a lot of stuff. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, if you were to uh, summarize what God's morality is, everyone in this room has a morality. There's some things that you think are right and other things that you think are wrong. And uh, everybody has that. It doesn't matter how open-minded or liberal you are in your way of thinking, uh, for sure you think that there's something wrong and there's something right. And so what would God define uh, for us as what his morals are for us? Uh, everybody has an opinion, but what does he say our morals should be in the way that we live? And it's simply this, uh, reflect me, God speaking. The, the, the morality of God is to look like him. That's what he's shooting for. Is what he would like is everyone in this room, we've already been made in the image of God, and that we would then uh, clothe ourselves and live as a way that would reflect his nature in our lives. Uh, I find this interesting. If you look at society today, what the, what the level of morality is, and there seems to be one word that captures what people think uh, divides right from wrong. And I think it's one word, it's consent. And so if somebody is consensual, it's fine. And if they're not consensual, then that's the only thing that's wrong in our behaviors. So if you can get somebody to agree with you, you can do whatever you want. And it's only violating somebody's free will that would be considered wrong or sinful. Uh, sort of pick on new laws. I think last time I spoke, I talked about this. I, but, uh, you know, I think of cannabis. And uh, uh, 
we have a whole society, or at least some laws, that have now said it's okay. And so uh, you've been granted the freedom to do something. You're not violating, in a sense, uh, the laws of the land. And so you, uh, somebody has consented for you to be able to do that. So is that a good idea? Does it help your relationship with God? Some of you say, oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk later. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and you say it slowly, you know, oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, when we, when we look, does it, does it really? Does it really help? Is it, is, it, is it a thing that's advancing society? Simply because something has been ag ag agreed upon doesn't make it right. I was thinking of, uh, of another example of, of uh, the sexual abuse of children. So they would say, the reason why that's wrong is because a child isn't uh, old enough to give consent. And then lawmakers are uh, debating over what the age of consent should be. And uh, we find in the laws that it's getting younger and younger. That's what, they're, that's what people are pushing towards. If you've had, and I'm, I'm thinking of even Jan speaking, if you've had the chance to talk to people who as children have gone through things, uh, they might have even consented thinking that this is good. Uh, but there's something that is, has, uh, has damaged their soul many of you here, that is uh, well beyond consent or not consent. It's wrong, and it violates another person. Consent doesn't do enough to capture love. God's character is enough to capture love. And so what we as a people of God, those of you who call yourself a Christian, what we do is uh, we long to look like this one Lord, one faith, and what the morality of God primarily looks like is to act as, a, as one people. You can tell whether you're reflecting the nature of God or not by whether what you do builds unity in your home, in your workplace, or in your church. That's how you can tell. It's not tricky. So if I do things, if I gossip, if I slander, if I'm angry, if I do those kinds of things, I'm not building unity wherever I go. But God says, if you want to look like me, what that's typically going to look like is you're going to be a champion of unification. That you're going to bring people together. You're not going to be divisive. I know that that needs to be nuanced, but it's all about reflecting his morals. So, uh, given who God is and who he's called us to be, we're to reflect him. And what that primarily looks like is living in a unified way. We get along with one another. And then there's a but in verse 7. But this unity looks different than typical unity. And here's what it says. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body until we all attain the unity of the faith. So the goal is always this unity 
because unity is what, what God mostly looks like. He wants to bring things together, not separate things. And so the way that this unity gets accomplished is in diversity, that somehow we better reflect God's nature in a diverse unity. Now, uh, I, I think about the way that our society, uh, Canadian society, presents itself, and it's with great diversity. If, if you identify yourself as a Canadian, we're proud to be a diverse nation, and we're tolerant of differences. And I think at one level that that's true about Canadians. But inside of us, I think each one of us, uh, inside of this uh, diverse nation, identifies with a certain group of people. And uh, my kids tell me about this, and I, you know, they, they say they have names for different groups of people. And there's a, one is basic. Um, the other one is, uh, is I, I have to watch because I don't quite know what it all means. Am I allowed to say Chad out, out loud? Um, and so, you know, and so they tell me, you know, Dad, this person's, you know, anyways. So, so I go, oh, so, so it looks like we're all getting along, but really, you're basic, or you're, someone's a Chad or whatever they are. And, uh, and so, I, you know, it's really funny, my son, uh, my son Toby, if he's not here today, but if you were to see him, he, uh, he looks like a, you know, well, he has a certain look. And he, uh, <coughs> he wears his toque inside out, and he wears his shirts inside out. I don't know if you know this about him. And if he wears a dress shirt, he only buttons the top button. All the other buttons are not buttoned. But don't worry, there's an there's a, a inside-out undershirt underneath it. <coughs> And so I, I, look at, I look at Toby, and I go, wow, you are distinctive and unique, you know? And then I meet his friends, and I go, hold on here. All of you are wearing your toques inside out, and you all have an inside out t-shirt with a one button on the top. And so he identifies himself with a particular group of people. Uh, they're called hipsters, and you're not allowed to you know, say that you're a hipster, or else you're not, but I, and I get that, but he is. We finally got him to admit it about a year ago that he really is a hipster. Uh, but, the, uh, but the idea is that uh, we think we're super diverse, but you're choosing what to wear according to the people that you want to identify with. And uh, whether it's the shoes or the shirt or the toque or the not toque or whatever it is, uh, uh, there's something inside of humanity that wants to belong. And the primary way that we imagine belonging is by being the same. In a sense, it's terrifying not to be. If you have been in an elementary school, you understand the pressure of belonging and the pressure of looking and acting the same way as everybody else. And you'll be mocked if you aren't. And so everybody wants to belong, and uh, we want a semblance of unity, getting along. And then the Bible comes along and says, the primary way that you would get along and be unified in my family is not all by looking the same, but by embracing a diversity of the Spirit. That in order for you as a community 
to reflect me, there's no way that any given one of you could do an adequate job. And so what I've done is I've, uh, I've uh, spread my grace among a community, giving to people a diversity of gifts and callings, and that together you might get closer to reflecting all that I am, all that I value in who I am. And so we see in this, uh, if you're in the church, they call this the fivefold ministry. It's kind of a, uh, a quick way for people to talk about these things. And there's some people who are apostles who kind of break new ground. Uh, there's people who are prophets whose primary orientation, you saw Helen Patterson do that earlier. They listen to God on our behalf, help us to do the same. There's evangelists are people who are always thinking about those who aren't here and what are we going to do to love them. There's uh, pastors who says, well, I don't know about everybody else. I just want to make sure that we're being loved and cared for because if we aren't being loved and cared for, what are we actually inviting anybody into? And then there's teachers who really care that this unity would be built on the word of God and on his truth and not just our own human invention. Now, that's beautiful. Uh, think of the light of God uh, shining through a prism that gets refracted into a rainbow of colors. And those rainbow of colors are you and I. In our distinct giftings, in our, our, our outlook at life, even our emotional makeup. And it's absolutely beautiful uh, until you try to live there. Because remember what we said, the way that we usually find unity is through sameness and conformity. There's something incredibly beautiful but challenging to try to build a unity that's on people being different than us. But it's exactly because they're different that we need them. Think of uh, my wife, Debbie. When we get prophesied over, I remember one of the first times we got prophesied over. This guy lays his hand on both of our shoulders and he says, uh, there uh, does not exist two people who are more different than the two of you. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, But, uh, but I need Debbie because she's different than me. I'm not super emotional. And so I'll ask Debbie, you know, what am I feeling right now? She says, uh, oh, you're sad. I go, that's right, I'm sad. That's right. You're happy? Oh, I am happy. Good point. <laughs> I didn't notice until you mentioned it. <clears throat> and she has a different gift set than me. Uh, the, the, I, I don't know if either I've said this here, but the joke is, Debbie and I, we travel around together in, uh, and we go to different churches and speak. And so whenever I speak, people go, that's really interesting. I'm going to have to think about that. And then Debbie, and I speak for like, you know, half an hour, an hour, like long chunks of time. And then Debbie comes up for three to five minutes, and then everyone always claps at the end. <laughs> they always clap every single time. And so it's our joke. I speak for long lengths of time. They go, hmm. And then she gets up for five minutes, and they're just, they can't help themselves. Because Debbie has a gift of exhortation. And whenever she speaks, your spirit is ignited, and you go, yes to that. I don't have that. 
<laughs> That's great. That's great. <clears throat> There's always a first. But you see, we can either be uh, threatened by that or we can enjoy it. And there's something beautiful about you and I figuring out how to reflect unity in diversity. One of the things that I love about our church is we're wanting to be multicultural. Uh, This makes it harder for everyone. It'd be much easier if we go to this two-service idea. I think we'd need five or ten. But we have a bunch of services, and all we do is we just round up every ethnic group, and you can have your own service. It'll be much easier. We won't have to worry about ESL. Everybody will get the jokes. Uh, You'll be way more relevant. But we've chosen to be a multicultural church uh, honoring a diversity of gifts and callings because we believe that we're better together. We believe that we're better, we're better able to represent the beauty of God through this diversity. And so we're willing to pay the price for it, for the difficulties of it, because of what it achieves. So, uh, given our call, so that was the but, now we're at the so. Given our call to reflect God, uh, we're to reflect him in this unified diversity, Given our call to reflect God, I tell you this, the Apostle Paul says. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created, and here it is again, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What's being said here? This is the climax of the the chapter. Dress appropriately. Dress in a way to reflect God. Given who God is, who you've been called to be, how you work this out in a diverse community, I have one charge to you. Dress properly. Dress in a way that's gonna, in terms of your character and attitude, that is gonna draw people together, not apart, to rightly glorify God. That's what I'd like you to do. Now, I find it interesting that God uses clothing to describe character and behavior. That's interesting to me. It doesn't quite make sense. Because when I look at how our society views clothing, it's something that's superficial. It's something that we'll hide behind. It's something that isn't exactly us. It's kind of a presentation of, of how we want to be. And so maybe, uh, you know, you wear black if you've, uh, if you've gained a few pounds, because maybe that, you know, trims you up a little bit. Or there's a, a saying, you know, you fake it till you make it. Or you dress to impress. And what we're doing is we're somehow going, well, I know who I am inside, not good enough. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to dress in a way and look in a way that's going to be who I imagine myself being. And then maybe if I fake it long enough, I'll kind of become that. Uh, I know it's not really who I am, but maybe I can trick some of you by how I dress. 
Now, here's what's interesting. By the way, uh, that attitude uh, isn't just born in you. It's born in all humanity. And it started in Genesis chapter 3. What we find there is that they break relationship with God. They're full of guilt and shame. And so they use fig leaves to cover uh, their, their fallenness and ugliness as a way to kind of still be able to uh, be close to others without being so full of shame. I'm just going to clothe myself in a particular way so that you won't really see who I am and it'll allow me to get close to you. Now, what's remarkable about the way that God describes clothes is clothes aren't meant to cover, they're meant to reveal. This is radical. This is radical. Uh, in the Bible, when God clothes people, he is doing that so that everyone around you will see who you really are. I have an example of this. There's tons of them. But I, I have an example in uh, Exodus 28, verse 40. It says this. Make tunics, sashes, and caps for Aaron's sons, because they're the priests of God, to give them dignity and honor. So I know who I've made these people to be, but the people around them might not know that. So what I want you to do is I want you to dress them in a way so that they'll see them the way that I see them. I want to give them dignity and honor, and so I need to give them clothing to reveal that. Now, we still have examples of this. Uh, a uniform is going to reveal something about the person who's wearing that uniform. It's not just something that they put on superficially. It's something that actually identifies them as a certain kind of person, whether it's a police officer or somebody in the army or whatever it would be. Somebody who's wearing a crown. If you see somebody wearing a crown, either that's weird or they're, uh, or they're royalty, and you go, oh, I know who you are now by what you've worn. I get this. Now, here's what's remarkable in Genesis chapter 3. He, uh, God looks at what humans do with clothing, fig leaves, hiding, and he says, let me do something better for you. And he covers them with animal skins. Now, if you know your Bible, uh, Think of somebody else who was, you know, who was covered with an animal skin, if you can think. There's actually a number. The first one that comes to my mind is John the Baptist. He wore uh, camel hair. Before that, I think of Elijah and Elisha. That when you had a prophet, they had a thing called a mantle, which is really just a cloak. But that cloak was typically made out of sheepskin out of animal skin. And so what you find is a people who are full of shame and who are trying to cover that shame, and God comes and says, let me tell you who you really are, and I'm going to cloak you with my definition of who you are, and I'm going to call you anointed, and I'm going to bestow upon you an identity that even what you did by forsaking me and rebelling against me, I reinstall you as a human being called to bear my image and to walk in my anointing. It's a beautiful thought. So what is the, uh, what is the clothing 
that God has given to you and I. We don't wear, you know, animal skins a lot. Well, I mean, maybe we like a leather jacket. But, uh, but what is the, what is the, 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 uh, the dress that God wants to put on you and I that would rightly reflect him and reveal, get this, who you really are? Not the, the guilt person or the shame person, but the true person that has been made in the image of God. What does he give you? Well, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, he gives, we won't go through them, uh, but I'll just list them. He says this, this is what I am encouraging you to be clothed with so that you could look the way you're meant to look. This is who I've made you to be. Number one is I want you to clothe yourself with honesty. If you're a liar, you are not reflecting me or the identity that I've given you. Don't be a liar. Lying, follow me now, lying is a fig leaf. It's a false presentation of who you are. You don't need fig leaves anymore. You don't have to lie anymore. I've given you something way better than that, my grace in my spirit that allows you now to walk in honesty, even when you do something that's shameful. You're more dignified being honest about that than you are about hiding it. It brings better glory to my name that you would be honest even about what's ugly. Forgiveness. Clothe yourself in forgiveness. Turn the other cheek. Be kind. Don't hold a grudge. It doesn't look good on you. And it stains who you are. No, no, no. My people dress in forgiveness. We walk around approaching people in an attitude of not bearing a grudge. We're generous. We're not stingy. We don't steal. We work hard. But we don't work hard just to have something for ourselves. We work hard in order to have something to give away to others. That's what we dress ourselves with. So God bless you if you can make some money. But don't ever imagine that all of that is just for you. God has given you a grace to do that, to be a blessing to those around you. Dress like that. Dress with generosity. And when people look at you, they'll see me. Pure speech. Pure speech. I just, uh, I mean, I don't know how I, I, I struggle with all of these, all right? I just can't swear. You know how sometimes a joke would be better with a swear word? Or if I'm quoting somebody else and they swear, I'm kind of, it's legitimate to complete the quote. I just don't want anything impure to come out of my mouth. I just don't like it. I don't think it reflects my father. Because my father never speaks to me that way. He's never cussed me out. He's never been rude or obnoxious. He's only ever been kind in his words towards me, even when he's firm. And I don't think Christians should swear. I don't think we should tell slightly off-color jokes. I remember the last time I, and it was barely off-color. It was barely off-color. But I was with a group of pastors, and uh, people are telling stories. 
and I told a story. It was just slightly, just not super great. And I, I remember after that, God saying, That's not you. Don't go there. You don't need the acceptance of these people. Look for my acceptance. Represent me well in this moment. Don't, don't, don't move the line over for the sake of fitting in. That's embarrassing. You're better than that. Reflect me in this moment. So I don't know whether you're, what kind of mouth you're known for having. But God says, take off your fig leaves where you're trying to present a bravado or be something that you're not. Clothe yourself with pure speech. I can't tell you how important I think that is. It sets the tone for a unity in a church or a family because it's not degrading of anyone or anything. It's honorable and right. And the final one that's listed is to be compassionate. That, that when you approach somebody, you don't look at what's wrong with them. You look at how to be merciful. You just approach people that way. You're not deciding who's worthy to be, you know, a friend or who's worthy to have a handshake on, on a Sunday. And yeah, they look interesting. They look like they have the potential to be a friend of mine. I'll shake their hand. Oh, they don't look very friendly at all. I'm going to ignore them but that you would walk into a community like this and you would just walk forward with compassion. Say, I'm going to look for the outsider. I'm going to look for the one who probably won't be greeted. I remember the, uh, the first time I was mocked as a Christian. I remember it very clearly. And uh, we're playing hockey, because I'm Canadian, at all, I think back then at least, that's all, we all played hockey. And so I'm, I'm, playing, uh, I'm playing street hockey, and I just become a Christian. And I've been reading the Bible about what is right and wrong and how I want to be clothed. And one of the other guys that I was playing with, uh, I knew that he went to church. And another guy is from another country, but I, I know that he had some kind of church background. And so we were playing, and it was getting a little, uh, a little out of hand. And so I said this phrase that I was mocked for for a good year for my friends. I said this, I said, that's not the Christian thing to do. And they teased me at least for a year. Anytime I do something mildly, whatever, they go, Greg, that's not the Christian thing to do. And they laughed out loud at me all the time about this. I'm glad to be mocked for that. I would like to do the Christian thing. I would like to wear godliness as my dress. And if that means that I'm going to be mocked by somebody, I'm okay with that. If it means that pure speech sets me outside of a group that I might want to earn the approval of, I can do that. So let me ask you in conclusion, what is in your closet? Now, if you were to look at your wardrobe, What's in your closet? Now, here's what you're going to find there. You're going to find two sets of clothing. The first set of clothing is all about lying, misrepresenting yourself, uh, stealing, being self-centered, 
unforgiving, judgmental. And you can, uh, you can uh, wake up on a Sunday morning and you can look through that and say, I'm going to pick judgmental today. I'm feeling a little judgmental. I think I'm going to put that on today. It's a hard weekend. I'm going to put that on. And you can walk in to your home or your work with a certain set of clothes. But you need to know by the grace of God, there's a whole other side of your wardrobe. And it's being clothed with righteousness and a holiness. It's being full of pure speech. And you can wear that. And by the grace of God, you have a whole other set of clothes that the Father has given you as a gift that you could uh, reveal him and build unity where you go. What we pick to wear reveals what we think about God and our life purpose. And I'd like you to think about that. If you choose impure speech, unwholesome talk, if you choose uh, to be a little bit rude and off color, if you choose to be judgmental, there's something that you're believing about God and something about that you're believing about your identity that's false. And it's untrue. And it does not reflect him. But for some reason, you think it's appropriate to wear that right now. And that's worth meditating on. When I'm with my pastor friends, why did I want to go there a bit? What was I believing about God in that moment? What was I believing about myself and my pastor friends that wanted me to fit in and just slightly, just slightly on the line? What was I, what was I, I believing about him in that moment? I need to pray about that and say, when I choose this old wardrobe, I'm believing something about the nature of God that is not good for my soul and is not truly who he is. And I can tell that my theology is off because of what I'm choosing to wear. Now, sorry, but sometimes, um, you know, you'll walk in the street, and I, sorry, women, but sometimes women wear clothes that's just a little revealing. And what's going through my mind is, why are you doing that? Like, what is it in your soul that says you need that? And, and don't just say, well, I just felt like it. You didn't. You're, every time you and I put on clothes, we're making a statement. And so the way that you dress is making a statement about what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself and the world around you. And so when you have impure speech and you're judgmental, you're saying something. So don't, please, don't consider that there's kind of a third wardrobe that's just called innocence. It doesn't exist. It's either, uh, it's either dressed for the flesh or it's dressed by the spirit. And I encourage you, at least be honest with yourself about what you choose to wear. 
And so I need to ask you then, in closing, what will you wear today? Uh, after, after the last song, what are you going to put on? Something that hides you? Or is it something that reveals the nature of God? What will you put on in a minute? When you go home, maybe to a less than ideal circumstance, what do you plan on wearing at home today? Is it just something comfortable? Or is it something godly? When you go to work, what are you going to wear? You're going to wear something that puffs you up or something that brings unity to where you go, reflects the image of God? We need to ask these questions as Christians. We need to trust that God's grace gives us the right wardrobe for any occasion. We had a a wedding yesterday. Uh, Mark and Rachel got married. It was just a, a beautiful wedding. And people dressed up for it because it was appropriate. I pray that we as the people of God would dress well wherever we go. And that people would look at us and say, explain your wardrobe. And you would say, there's only one explanation. I love my father and want to look like him. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to know what to wear, that, that, uh, that our old sets of clothing would become embarrassing and unattractive, and that we would find ourselves choosing a new set of clothing, a set of clothing that you've given us, that reflects who you are, that builds up those around us. Oh, Father, thank you for the grace for being given a new wardrobe. And so if you want, you can hold out your hands. I receive today my new wardrobe. I receive it as a gift, just like Adam and Eve deserved only fig leaves. You came and gave a a gift that bestowed on them their God-given dignity. And I ask now that you would grant to us clothes that rightly reflect who we are as children of the Most High God.